Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This morning we're beginning a new series. We're looking at four stories that take us through the birth of Jesus. And each of these stories have an encounter, a close encounter, a frightening encounter with an angel. An angel appeared to Zechariah and told him that his wife, even though she was old, would give birth to a son, John, and he would be the forerunner of Jesus. An angel appeared to Mary and told her that even though she was a virgin, she would give birth to a son, and he would be the son of God. An angel appeared to Joseph and told him that even though um, um, Mary was pregnant and he had never had a relationship with Mary, he was to marry her because the child that she was carrying would be Emmanuel, God with us. And then an angel appeared to shepherds out in the field tending their sheep. And then a, a, whole, a whole multitude of angels appeared to them and told them that a Savior would be born. You see, angels are seen throughout this birth narrative. But the truth is, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of strange ideas about angels. I, I found a, a, a paper that, that shared what some different children had to say about angels. Listen to these. Gregory, who was five, said, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <laughs> Olive, age nine, said, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but scientists are working on it. Matthew, who was nine, said, it's not easy to become an angel. First you die, then you go to heaven, then there's still the flight training you got to go through. And then you got to wear, agree to wear the angel clothes. Henry, who was eight, said, my guardian angel helps me with math, but he's not much good for science. Reagan, who was nine, said, when an angel gets mad, he takes a deep breath and then counts to ten. And when he lets out his breath, somewhere there's a tornado. Caitlin, who was nine, said, my angel is my grandma who died last year. She got a big head start on helping me while she was down here on earth. But it's not just children who are confused when it comes to angels. A lot of adults are confused when it comes to angels. Some have the ideas that, that angels are people who have died. We see this especially when a child dies. We hear people say, well, I guess God just needed another angel up in heaven. There are others that picture angels as chubby, effeminate-looking creatures that flutter from person to person, especially at Valentine's. And, um, and they shoot them with an arrow, and they fall in love. There are other people who believe that angels sit on clouds all day long and play harps. And, and then evidently, a lot of people believe that, that most angels are women. Because it seems whenever we have some kind of church play where we have angels, who are the people that play the angels? It's women that play the angels. And then Islamic scholars say that every person is assigned two angels. One records the good deeds that they do, and the other records the bad deeds that they do. The problem is, every one of those ideas are incorrect. Now let me say to you, before we go any further, that angels are real. The Bible mentions them over 300 times 
beginning in the book of Genesis, going all the way through the book of Revelation. The Bible teaches us that angels are powerful, created, spiritual beings. And they are God's ministers and God's messengers who both serve and speak on behalf of God. Now, angels live in the spiritual realm that is unseen with our our physical eyes. But there are times that they take on human form. They are seen in the physical realm and they speak and they work for God. Now, you may ask, why aren't angels seen today? And I would say angels are seen today. They just don't make their presence known that often, just like they didn't make their presence known that often in Bible times. I mean, as we read through the Word of God, we don't see angels appearing every day to everyone. We see them appearing from time to time. And when they did, they were on a specific assignment for God. They were on mission for God. Now, understand, just as there are angels who speak for God and who serve God... There are also fallen angels, demons, who oppose God. And and we need to be careful that we test the Spirit to see if what we see, if what we hear is actually coming from God. Because the Bible teaches that demons can pose as angels of light and seek to both confuse us and mislead us. Listen, don't miss this. Every spiritual encounter isn't from God. You need to learn to exercise discernment and test what you hear, what you see, what you experience by the Word of God. The Word of God is the only standard we have. And so as we are seeking to discern whether something is from God or not from God, We go to God's Word. Now let's go ahead and jump into Luke chapter 1. Now this story actually begins about 400 years in the past. Because that's how long it has been since there has been a prophetic word from God. The majority of the people had turned from God. Malachi tells us that they had doubted God's Word. They had defiled their worship of God. They had dishonored his name, they had disobeyed his laws, and they despised serving him. And because of their rebellion, the people's rebellion, they were living in a period of spiritual darkness and spiritual silence. But even though the majority of the people had settled into religious ritual, rather than sincere devotion to God, there were some who who still obeyed God. There were some who still worshipped Him. There were some who still longed for His coming, the coming of the Messiah. And two of these were a husband and a wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest who the Bible says served in the hill country of Judea. He, He didn't serve in a large city. He didn't minister to influential people. But he was faithful and obedient to God. Zechariah was one of about 20,000 priests who served God throughout Israel. And twice a year, each of these priests would go to Jerusalem and they would serve in the temple for a one-week period. Now, this was a big deal. This was a highlight of their service to God. And we discovered that during this story, Zechariah was at the temple serving God. 
Now we're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children, and both of them were well advanced in years. That just simply means they were old. <laughs> they could not have any more children. Now, if you want children today and you can't have children, that can be very disappointing, can it? It can be very heart-wrenching to us. But in the Bible days, it was more than disappointing. It was more than, than heart-wrenching. You see, when you weren't able to have children, people would look down on you. They, they felt like that if you couldn't have children, you must be cursed by God. And, and to make it worse, as Zechariah and Elizabeth entered into this, this final season of their life, because they had no children, they had no one to help them in life. Now, every day, twice a day, there at the temple, a priest was chosen by lot to go into the temple, to the place where the altar was, and they would light incense there in the place where the altar was. They would do this in the morning, and they would do this in the evening. And, and the incense... The smoke of the incense going up would remind the people that their prayers were going up to God. And the sweet smell of the incense, the fragrance, would remind them that their prayers were sweet-smelling to the nostrils of God. Don't understand. Many priests were never chosen to burn incense in the temple at the altar. Because there were 20,000 of them, and they were chosen by lot. And, and many priests would come, and they would serve for years and years and years, and they would never be chosen to burn the incense at the altar. This was a big deal. This was the highlight of their priestly career. And, and when you were chosen by lot, which, which they felt like meant that God had chosen you, you, you basically retired as a priest. And here was Zechariah. He had been ministering for years and years and years and years. And, and twice a year, he would go up to Jerusalem to minister to the temple. And he had never been chosen to light the incense at the altar until now. And so he was chosen and he went into the temple, to the altar, and he Lit, lit the incense, and, and Zechariah began to pray. And you say, what did he pray for? Well, I believe that he prayed for a child. Even though they were still very old and advanced in years, he prayed for a child. I believe he prayed for his people to turn back to God because he was a godly man. And I believe that he prayed for the coming of the Messiah. And as he was praying... And the people outside were praying, an angel appeared to him. Now, the Bible tells us that he was startled. Now, how many of us come to church? And we want God to do something amazing. We want God to do something special. We want God to do something supernatural. And, and when God does it, it startles us. It surprises us. So, Zechariah was startled. And, and then the Bible says he was he was afraid, was scared to death. I mean, one minute he was involved in intense prayer, and the next minute there was an angel standing beside him by the altar speaking to him. 
You may sit back and go and say to yourself, what was he afraid of? And, and I'm just telling you right now that you are crazy. Because if that occurred to you, if that happened to you, I think most of us would get freaked out, wouldn't we? I mean, we would be deep in prayer and all of a sudden an angel would appear and, whoa! What's going on? What has happened? And notice what the angel said. The angel said, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And then the angel said, he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And he said, and he will bring many of your people back to the Lord. Now notice what it says in verse 17, if your Bible is open. It says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was a prophecy that was found in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so Zechariah was being told that not only would he have a son, not only was God going to grant him and Elizabeth a son, he would be a godly son who turned the hearts of many back to the Lord. But not only that, This son was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He was going to set the stage for the coming Messiah. Now, look look what Zechariah did. He didn't say, I'm blessed. He didn't say, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayers. He said, how can I know what you say is true? Now, he had been praying for years and years and years for this exact same thing. He is in the temple, kneeling in front of the altar. An angel appears to him and says, your prayers have been answered. And he says, how do I know that it's true? He doubted. He doubted that God was going to do what God, what he asked God to do. And, And so what did God do? God made him Mute. God made him dumb. God made him where he could not speak for nine months. And and Elizabeth, Zechariah's husband, praised Jesus. Because for nine months she had peace and quiet. She won every argument. And she didn't have to listen to the babbling of her husband anymore. Now what can we learn from this story? As I studied this story and and sought God, I discovered five truths that I think are practical truths that apply to us today that, that each of us need to understand. Here's truth number one. God uses ordinary people, even obscure people, to accomplish his purpose. Don't miss that. God uses ordinary people, even obscure people, to accomplish his purpose. Look at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Sometimes we have the idea that we will never be able to make a difference, that God will never be able to use us in a great way because of who we are, because of where we live, because of what we do. But what we need to understand is that throughout the Bible, we discover that God is in the habit of using obscure, ordinary people. Not prominent, powerful people in the advancement of his kingdom. 
I mean, look at David, the greatest king in all of Israel. When God told Samuel that he needed to go out and anoint the next king of Israel, and he told him that he would be from a certain family line, and Samuel went to that family line, David was the last that Samuel would have chosen. He was the youngest, scroniest, most ordinary sons of Jethro. And yet, God chose David to be the greatest king in all of Israel, the the king from which the Savior, Jesus, would come from. Look at the disciples Jesus chose. The Bible tells us in Acts that they were unlearned, ordinary men. They weren't the prominent. They weren't the powerful. They were fishermen, tax collectors, tradesmen who worked with their hands. They did not make the cut to go to rabbinical school. So they weren't the super religious of the day. And yet God chose them. Why? Because when they heard the call of Jesus, they responded, they left everything, and they followed him. And that's how it was with Zechariah. He was from a small country town, most likely ministering to a small group of people. He didn't have a radio show or a TV program. He didn't have tens of thousands of followers on Twitter. He he wasn't being asked to speak all over Judea. He had never written a book. In human terms, Zechariah was a nobody. And yet God chose him to be the father of the forerunner, of the savior of the world. And that should be encouraging to us because most of us aren't famous. Most of us don't have this huge platform from which we can change the world. But we need to be faithful where we are. You see, you need to understand today that when you minister in the nursery, when you're helping out with kids' worship or with the students, you may not know it, but you could be influencing the next Billy Graham, the next great evangelist on planet Earth. You could be helping influence a child that is going to be the child that develops that missional strategy and challenges us to reach the last of the unengaged people in the world. You may not realize it, but you could be ministering to the kid that is going to be writing the worship songs that we sing in the next 20 years. When you work in our first impressions ministry, The smile that you give, the the handshake that you give as you welcome somebody on Sunday morning. You may not realize this, but, but you may be the only one that week that shows someone that there's someone that cares. You may be the only one that gives someone a meaningful touch that week. When you volunteer at Mission Columbia or or you help in our ministries like at the Delta Motel, how do you know that you're not giving someone hope that's going to encourage them to keep going on instead of giving up? Listen, God uses ordinary, obscure people to accomplish His purpose. And so don't think 
Just because you don't have a large platform, don't think just because you don't have a, a, a lot of followers on Twitter or Facebook or whatever else that, that you can't make a difference because God uses ordinary people. Be faithful. That takes us to the next point, is that it's this. Faithfulness to God is measured in the difficult times of life, not the good times of life. Listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7. Both of them, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth, were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, what I've discovered is that it's easy to stay the course. It's easy to remain faithful when everything is going our way. When we get the job that we wanted, when we marry the man or the woman of our dreams, when, when we and all of our family are healthy and successful, it's easy, isn't it, to stay the course. But what do we do when it's not that way? Well, what do we do when we find ourselves in a dead-end job? What, what do we do when we're struggling to make ends meet? What do we do when someone we love that we care for has just died? What do we do when we pray and pray and pray for healing and that healing never comes? What do we do? Do we remain faithful? Or do we turn away from God and say, if God really loved me, he would answer my prayers? Do we continue to trust Him and obey Him? Or do we turn from Him? Now, it's hard for us to grasp in our day and age the stigma and the pain of childlessness in Bible times. Practically, if Zechariah would have died, Elizabeth would have been left all alone. Culturally, Elizabeth was looked down on. As a matter of fact, many of the Jews believed that it was okay for a man to divorce his wife if she was not able to give him children because that was the big deal back then and so when she would go to the well to get water people would make snide comments they would gossip about her they would laugh at her because they would feel like there must be some sin in her life or Zechariah's life because God hasn't blessed them with children that's why it says in verse 25 Elizabeth says he God has shown me favor he has taken away my disgrace. Why does she say, God, show me favor? God has taken away my disgrace. Because in that day, not having children was seen as a disgraceful, disgraceful thing. And yet, in spite of that, for years and years and years, they remained faithful. I love how verse 7 is translated in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. They were godly folk. Careful to obey all of God's laws in spirit as well as in letter. When it says they were blameless, it's not saying that they were sinless. But what it is saying is both their hearts and their actions showed that they had a genuine love and a commitment for the Lord. Now at times it's tough. But the truth is we need to understand that God is good and God is God regardless of our circumstances. And we don't follow God because of what He 
does for us. We don't follow God because what He gives us. We follow Him because He is God. He is a good, loving God. And He has already given us His Son as the sacrifice for our sins. Because the truth is, the fact is, we're going to all go through some difficult times. And the reason is we live in a fallen world. And when we face these difficult times, we have a choice. Are we going to remain faithful in spite of our circumstances? Or are we going to turn away from God because He did not give us what we wanted? Our faithfulness is measured in the difficult times, not the good times. Third truth in this story is this. We need to take advantage of God-given opportunities. Look at verses 8 through 10. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, Zechariah had most likely been going to the temple in Jerusalem for 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. And every year's year, they would draw lots. And every year, someone else was chosen to light the incense at the altar. All of those years, Zechariah was never chosen. But he never quit. He never complained. He remained faithful. And finally, when his day came, he took full advantage of it. I wonder how many opportunities God has placed before us. Opportunities to see God do amazing things. And we miss the opportunity because we don't take advantage of the opportunity that God places before us. I wonder how many of our friends and family could have already come to Jesus if we would have taken advantage of the opportunities that God lays before us. You see, God gives us opportunities all the time. The question is, are we sensitive to those opportunities? Are we looking for those opportunities? During this Christmas season... You're going to have some amazing opportunities to influence people for the glory of God. Because minds are focused on the reason for the season. Even secular people. People that hardly ever go to church. Talk about little baby Jesus. They talk about the Christmas stories. And we discover that, that Christmas time is a very stressful time, isn't it? I mean, because we have family coming over that aren't normally there, and it's not that our family stress us out. It's not that our family stress us out. It's just that they add stress to an already stressful time. And, and we've got all of these guests coming in, and then we think about all of these gifts that we need to buy because we bought into the whole marketing ploy of Christmas. That we've got to buy more and more and more and more. And we're trying to keep up with everybody else so that our kids will enjoy the reason for the season. And, and we buy all of these gifts and we put it on our credit card and we go into debt. And, and we're stressed out 
And now we not only have to worry about Santa, we have to worry about his mischievous elves. Amen? The old elf on the shelf. I'm, hey, I'm going to rant. I am glad my kids were grown before the old elf on the shelf made his debut. I really am. I mean, these things stress us out. I I saw a Facebook post this week. This mom said, and I can't remember who it was, whether they're in our church or somewhere else, but, but, but they were said, I feel like such a horrible mom. I forgot to do the elf on the shelf. And I'm thinking, get rid of the elf on the shelf. He's a demon elf. I mean, it's a stressful time. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that it is during the stressful times that we're able to point to the one who brings peace on earth. Amen. It's the stressful times where we're able to say, well, that's really not the reason for the season. And I understand all your stress, but I've discovered that when you focus on the real reason that your stress can disappear. And you can say, hey, why don't you come and, and join us at our Christmas Eve service? You can take advantage of the opportunity. Or, instead of focusing on yourself and yours exclusively at Christmas, you, you can find someone that may not have as much as you have And you can bless them a little bit this Christmas. And when they say, why are you doing this? Say, I'm doing this because Jesus has changed my life. Hey, why don't you join us at Northside? Because I believe he wants to change everybody's life. You see, you don't have to be an incredible theologian. You don't have to be an evangelist like Billy Graham to take advantage of the opportunities that God places before you. You just have to have an open heart, discerning mind to see when when people are reaching out and respond with the love of Jesus. So take advantage of the opportunities that God lays before us. Here's the fourth truth. Don't stop praying until the answer comes. Look at verses 11 through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, was gripped with fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And and the correct translation is even in the womb. Uh, Many of the people of Israel will will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for for the Lord. For years and years, Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed. And at least, at least it seemed like their prayers were unanswered. But you know what they did? They kept praying. They refused to give up. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, 
until finally their answer came. You see, you need to understand that God answers prayer and you need to pray until God answers. Let me say that again. God answers prayer. And you need to pray until God answers. There is only one thing. There is only one thing that will keep God from hearing your prayers. And that is sin. The Bible is very clear on that. There is only one thing that will keep God from hearing your prayers. And that is sin in your life. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Sin in my life, sin in your life, is the only reason that God will not answer. Now, his answer may not always be what we want him to give us. But he will always answer if there isn't sin keeping him from answering. So what is it that, that you've prayed for in the past that you've quit praying for? Maybe it's the salvation of someone you love and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it just hasn't happened and you quit praying. Because in your mind, you've said, well, if God was going to save him, he would have done it by now. Or maybe it's the, the deliverance of somebody from an addiction. And you've prayed, and, and you've prayed that God would deliver them and set them free, and, and they're still in bondage, and, and you've quit praying because you thought, my prayers aren't accomplishing anything. Or perhaps it's the restoration of, uh, of a relationship. You see, the Bible promises that if we call upon the Lord, He will not only hear us, but He will show us great and mighty things that we don't even know. Now, you may ask, but why does it take so long? I mean, because if God promises to hear my prayers and answer my prayers apart from sin, why haven't I received an answer already? And the answer to that question is this. I don't know. There are a variety of reasons. The Bible teaches that sometimes there's spiritual warfare going on. We, we, we see that, that spiritual warfare hinders the answering of prayer. And the battle is being raised in the spiritual realm before the answer comes. Sometimes God is, is postponing the answer to teach us to trust Him, to teach us to, to persevere. Sometimes God may be postponing the answer so that our desires will change. Because rather than saying, are you crazy asking for that? Because sometimes that could be the answer, couldn't it? Instead of God giving us that answer, maybe God wants to mature us and develop us so that we come to that point where we say, whoa, why did I ever even ask for that, God? That's so not in your will. But we pray. And we pray. And we pray until God answers. We keep on praying. We don't give up. And finally. This story teaches that don't doubt. God's power. It teaches us to never doubt God's power. Look at verses 18 and follow. 
Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, you notice Zechariah was smart. I'm old. My wife is just well along in years. That's a nicer way to say that, right? The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out and he could not speak to them, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he, was, he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In the days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, some of you ladies are saying, I wish an angel would appear to my husband. <laughs> and he would doubt the angel. You're longing for some of that peace and quiet, aren't you? You, 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 want, you, want a little, you want a little silence. You say, I, I, my husband yaps all the time. Bring an angel, Lord Jesus. But that's not what the story is trying to teach. You see, the story is teaching us that we can trust God. Here was Zechariah. He had been praying for years. And finally, the answer came. And what did he do? Instead of rejoicing and praising God, he said, God, I don't know if I can trust this or not. Now, here's the good news. Doubt doesn't always keep God from answering. That's a praise God, amen? Aren't you glad? I mean, because I've got to be honest with you. I've got to be transparent with you. I struggle with doubt. I'm one of those people that say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, give me more faith. Give me faith to say to this mountain, be moved, be cast into the sea. I want that kind of faith, but, but I doubt. And so I am so thankful that, that our doubts don't always keep God from answering. But understand, our doubts do always carry consequences. And the reason is, God wants to increase our faith. God wants us to get to the point where we believe God for the miraculous, for the supernatural, for the impossible. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were like Abraham and Sarah. They weren't just old. They were beyond the age of having children. It was, it was not physically possible for them to have children. And yet God stepped in and did for them what they could not do for themselves. And that's what God does. That's what God wants to do in your life. God wants us to come to the point where we trust Him to do things that are beyond our abilities. Because if we can do it on our own, then is it really going to bring that much glory and honor to God? When it is beyond our ability to do, and we trust God to do it, and God steps in and does it, that's when God gets the glory. So good to see Bruce here, Bruce Buttram. 
Doctors may say something different, but I believe that God stepped in and did in Bruce's life what man couldn't do. He did a miracle. And praise God for good medical care. So thankful for that. But let me tell you, anyone who was in here, I think would tell you, see Bruce sitting there today? It's a miracle of God. And God needs to receive the glory for that. You see, God wants us to trust him for things. Does that mean that God's always going to heal the way we want? No. Does that mean God is always going to deliver the way we ask? No. Does that mean that God is always going to do what we believe he needs to do? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if we pray and believe and trust and we get to that point where we know that our God is able to do the amazing, the miraculous, the supernatural, the impossible. And we begin to live in a way that we give him the glory when he does. We will see him do that more often. Now where are you at? Maybe you're here and you think God can't use you. Because you're ordinary. You don't have a platform. Maybe you're here and you're going through a difficult time right now. And and you're wondering, is it worth it remaining faithful? Maybe you're here and, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And God hasn't answered and you've just stopped praying. Maybe you're here and, and you just haven't taken advantage of the opportunities that God has placed before you to see his kingdom come as will be done in people's lives. But I'm here to tell you that wherever you are, whatever your need is, if you will take the step, God will intervene and work in your life, just like he did in Zechariah's life, just like he did in Elizabeth's life. But here's the first step. You've got to turn your life over to him. You see, that was the first step for Zechariah. That was the first step for Elizabeth. Uh, their, their religion was not ritual. They had a relationship with the living God that changed everything about them. That's why they were blameless. That's why they were Righteous. That's why they sought to follow God, not only in spirit, but in action. Because he had changed their life. They realized that he was the one true God, and they wanted to serve him. And today, as we approach this Christmas season, we have the privilege of knowing God in an even greater way than Elizabeth and Zechariah. Because, you see, we have seen the Savior. We've seen Jesus. We've discovered that John the Baptist, their son, was indeed the forebearer, the forerunner of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, who would die on a cross to save us from our sins. And we come to the point where we humble ourselves before God, accept his gift of eternal life, He transforms us. He changes us. And we begin a life that we were created to live in the first place. Life in relationship with God.
So where are you? Maybe you're here and you need to take that first step. You need to surrender your life to him. Accept his gift of eternal life. Maybe you're here and you need to quit making excuses. The excuse that I'm ordinary, I I don't have a platform, and you just need to begin to be faithful and serve. Maybe you need to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you, and and who but knows that God's going to use you to do something incredible. Maybe you need to be challenged to continue to pray and never give up until God gives an answer. But whatever it is, you need to take the step God's leading you to take today. So I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. The first step is giving your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that, if you haven't humbled yourself before God, saying, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, Lord Jesus, please save me, then you need to do that today. If you're here and you're a believer And you just have never really believed that God could use you because you're nothing special. You need to stop it right now. Realize throughout history, God has used the ordinary and the obscure to advance his kingdom. If you're here and you're struggling right now with difficult times and you're wondering, is it worth it? I'm here to tell you it is. Remain faithful. If you're here and in the past, you've you've let opportunities slip by. This holiday season, begin to take advantage of the opportunities God places in your life. And as you do, pray. Pray for changed lives. Pray that God will set people free. Pray that God will restore relationships. Pray that God will do what seems impossible to the human eye. Father God, you know every need that is here today. I pray, Father, that those that need you, who have never surrendered their life to you, humbled themselves before you, will today throw up their hands, surrender, and trust you to be their Savior. I pray, Lord God, that you will step out of heaven and work in each of our lives as we seek to be faithful, as we desire to be used and make a difference, as we desire to be people who believe that you answer prayers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.